Welcome to Around the World in 80s Movies. My name is Vince Leo. I'm the author of the film review website, Quipster.net. I invite you to check that site out anytime. You can read over 4,000 of my written reviews at Quipster.net, Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. I also want to remind you that I do another podcast that covers brand new movies that are out in theaters. In fact, at the time of this recording, I've reviewed the latest in the Mission Impossible series, That's Mission Impossible Fallout. You can check out more details at quipsterpod.com, Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R-P-O-D.com. For today's review, I guess I've just finished a trilogy of films in which I talked about films from the DC comics. In fact, I've talked about five of them, if you include Swamp Thing, Batman, and the first two Superman movies. And most people would probably leave it at that because they consider those the really good movies, the good 80s movies. But I'm going to continue on. I'm going to do another trilogy of films from the Superman universe of films from the 1980s. So I'm going to start this off with the next film in the Superman franchise, Superman 3, of course. What an ingenious name for a follow-up to Superman 2. It came out in 1983. It is a film that brings back Christopher Reeve. And this time, for the first time in the series, he's getting the top billing Richard Pryor, even though he's a big star, normally would get top billing, is the biggest supporting player in that film. You can almost say he's kind of like a co-star in this film, considering how much screen time he gets. Annette O'Toole, Robert Vaughn, Annie Ross, Pamela Stevenson, Jackie Cooper, Mark McClure, and Margot Kidder are also in the film. Notice I said Margot Kidder's name last among the cast, and there's a reason why for that, and I'll get into that in just a moment. Richard Lester returns as director, having mostly directed... Superman 2. If you want to know why I say mostly, you can listen to my review on that from last week. And the screenplay is credited to David Newman and Leslie Newman, who have worked all along on some of these Superman scripts. This time, they finally get their own chance to write the script without a lot of rewrites on top of it. Now, Superman 3 is the first in the Superman series without any trace of the guiding hands of director Richard Donner. You also have no writing here from acclaimed writer Mario Puzo, and that left the franchise completely in the hands of Superman 2's cleanup director Richard Lester, a director noted for usually comedies in films. He directed A Hard Day's Night and Help and The Three Musketeers and a whole bunch of other films coming into this, and the screenwriting pair of the Newmans, David and Leslie, who wrote the funnier aspects of the first two entries that Richard Donner had detested so much that he brought in Tom Mankiewicz to come fix them. So these players set out to make this series into what the producers, the Salkins, had wanted to make them all along, which are comedies. Now, that would all be well and good. Many series run out of steam after the first movie or two, but Superman 
is a property that has lasted the test of time for decades in a variety of forms, so to change up the tone at this stage of the game is not just changing this film series. It's really contradicting 50 years of well-known Superman mythology. The luster and mystique that we witnessed in the first two Superman films, they are wholly missing in Superman 3, as well as the epic scope. Sometimes Superman 3 feels like a direct-to-video knockoff that somehow retained the services of most of the original cast, Despite getting the tone that the Salkins wanted, this would be the final proper Superman film produced by them, although they would continue on with the Supergirl spinoff the following year and the Superboy syndicated TV show that ran from 1988 to 1992. Now, another problem with this playing like a comedy is that it's just not that funny. Not even Richard Pryor, he's one of the most gifted stand-up comedians of all time, not even he can make it so. So despite longtime Superman, superfan Richard Pryor, he publicly lobbied tenaciously for a part in the new movie. He would get it once the Newmans were aware of his interest and the Salkins. This role was obviously not really drafted with him in mind. He mugs, he flails desperately to infuse every scene he's in with moments of hilarity, ultimately to no avail, because the script really doesn't have any wit of its own to sell him on. Now, three more notable omissions to this film. Gene Hackman, he takes a pass returning as Superman arch-nemesis Lex Luthor. Margot Kidder, she's relegated to a minor supporting character. Both Hackman and Kidder were very vocal at the firing of Richard Donner before the second film was completed, to the point where the Salkins considered not even having Lois Lane in their third movie, despite the fact that Lois and her relationship with Clark slash Superman was such a big part of those first two movies. And by the way, Christopher Reeve also stated he would likely not return. They were contractually optioned in their contracts to appear for a third film if they made one. So they reluctantly ended up donning their costumes for one more go-around after some hard negotiations on salary. Kidder would only appear at the beginning and the end of this film, a total of five days of work, while Lois is replaced for a new love interest for Clark, which I'll get into in a moment. Now, Christopher Reeve was very unhappy with the sillier direction of the third film. He only agreed to come back after some script revisions were made. The Salkins actually ended up mulling over replacing Christopher Reeve at this point with Tony Danza, if you can believe that. But Richard Lester, who feared having to switch Supermans to Tony Danza, beseeched Christopher Reeve to reconsider and come back, which he ended up doing for that script revision. But he would eventually become very critical of this effort. He didn't want to promote the film very much and felt that the comedic direction was the wrong direction for the character. In fact, a few years later, he basically was very outspoken as to him not really liking what happened with this film. Even the great composer John Williams, his score is mostly replaced here with that of Ken Thorne. Now, Ken Thorne was the composer for Superman 2, but he mostly clung to John Williams' score in order to keep it a seamless transition. But most of the score, outside of a few moments here and there, really don't resemble that. Ditching Williams' style to play it more like a plucky comedy and collaborating here somewhat, the synthesizer pop sounds, the infused songs by Giorgio Moroder, who was a very hot property in the late 70s, early 80s. 
The budget for Superman 3 is immediately noticeably less than the first two films. It came in at about a third of what it cost to make the first two entries, which were kind of made back-to-back, although with some substantial reshoots for Superman 2. They were merely seeking to make as much profit as they could off of this and to sell the property to another production house who was willing to take it on after this. Now, the result was a cooling at the box office once fans determined that this entry was not going to live up to the former standards because the film ended up making barely half of what its predecessor made at the box office. At the time, Richard Pryor was a red-hot comedian. He's here playing Gus Gorman. Gorman is jobless, he's out of options on top of that, until he discovers that he has an affinity for computers, and he ends up learning how to use computers, and once he gets a job doing that, he ends up filching funds straight from the company that he works for. Now, Ross Webster, played by Robert Vaughn, he's a mega-buck billionaire. He's the owner of the company that sniffs Gorman out, but rather than toss this hacker into prison, he sees an opportunity in Gorman to make more millions for himself by using his skills to destroy the companies of his competitors. Now then Superman interferes with the plans, so Webster sees only one obstacle to complete financial domination. He has to kill the Man of Steel at all costs. Meanwhile, Superman's alter ego Clark Kent is in his hometown of Smallville for his high school reunion, and there he draws the attention of the town's beauty Lana Lang, played by Annette O'Toole. Now, Superman 3 is to the original DC comic superhero what the Batman TV series of the 1960s was, which is complete camp. As such, there are a few moments that are funny, most notably a classic cinema-inspired slapstick title sequence to start off the film. It features a chain reaction of calamities that befall Metropolis citizens that end up escalating to the point where Superman is needed. There's also a funny twist halfway through the film where Superman is exposed to a bad batch of kryptonite, a synthetic kryptonite that makes him a booze-swilling, misogynistic bad guy. He mischievously does such things as fix the Leaning Tower of Pisa, or he blows out the Olympic torch at the very last second. Kind of funny stuff. Now, this all culminates in a symbolic battle between an evil Superman and the goodly Clark Kent. They end up kind of in this schism, at least in his mind, where they try to thwart each other in a junkyard for automobiles. It's a big battle between the two. And while it's not nearly the quality of the first two films in the series, as it is as contrived as it can be, for the first 45 minutes or so of Superman 3, it's really not half bad, at least entertainment-wise. But it takes a turn, and I'll explain kind of the background to where it kind of goes wrong. Now, the story had initially been meant for Superman to encounter his longtime nemesis from the comics, Brainiac who would split Superman into two entities, good and evil, as well as meeting his impish foe from the comics, Mr. Mixoplick. He also would meet Supergirl, his cousin, who is also slated to make an appearance because they wanted to prepare her for her spin-off film that was going to be released the following year. It was released, but she does not appear in the finished product because Warner Brothers felt that they were hitting the science fiction angle a little too hard. They were trying to do too much with these characters that they felt might be too obscure for the general movie-going audiences who were unfamiliar with the comic book. Now, there are storylines that remain from their intentions. You, Of course, Superman turning bad after exposure to the botched synthetic kryptonite and the emergence of the sentient supercomputer kind of as a replacement for Brainiac. In fact, some people who are very attuned to pausing the film briefly can see that there's a little tag attributed to the computer that gives it the name of Brainiac, but as delivered here, it results in some very unsavory developments that please really hardly anyone. 
Now, as I mentioned, the film takes a turn, uh, specifically once Gus Gorman concocts a scheme whereby he's going to end up controlling the world's most powerful computer. All of the momentum, what little that there was going into it, is evaporated into this build-up to a showdown with Superman that turns the comedy into a somewhat distasteful and kind of horrific sci-fi fiasco. And therein, gone is much of the humor, the romance all semblance of respectability in the cheapening of the trademark franchise into the lowest common denominator for paltry excitement. Now, in between all of the main shenanigans is a relatively superfluous subplot that involves Clark's high school reunion in Smallville. He catches up with the goody-goody single mom, Lana Lang, and then he ends up dealing with her drunk ex-husband, that ex-husband once the promising captain of the high school football team. Annette O'Toole is fetching for the equivalent of the pretty girl next door role, which was written specifically for her by the Newmans, who saw her work on stage prior to drafting the screenplay. As an homage, Annette O'Toole would end up going on to play Superman's mother, Martha, in the Smallville TV show many years later. Now, the real issue with Lana Lang as a love interest is that there's really almost none of the chemistry that existed between Superman, or Clark Kent, and Lois in the first two films. Now, given how easily Lois had been marginalized to mean almost nothing to Superman in this film as compared to Superman's grief-filled outburst that resulted in, at the end of Superman of 1978, he ended up turning back the world. He spun the world backwards in order to save the one person he truly loves, risking everything In his moment of utmost grief, it's so depressing to contemplate how quickly such an emotional bond would end up dissipating to the point where Lois Lane is a complete nobody to him by this film. Now, the Salkins try to explain all of this, that the romance was over because Superman, at the end of Superman 2, gives her a kiss that ends up making her not remember that Superman and Clark Kent are the same thing, but they go on to say that she really doesn't remember anything about their relationship. So therefore, all of that romance would actually be undone. That's even more depressing if that's the case. So I really do not endorse all of this, considering how much buildup there was to this great love that they would have between each other, in addition to decades of comic books in which we know that Superman has great feelings for Lois. So although I do admire a couple of the plot developments of Superman 3. And there's a good performance here by Christopher Reeve. He plays a not-so-good version of himself, especially, and he does it very convincingly. I think that the bad elements of this film, definitely, they far exceed the good. It's almost as if the creators of this film were exposed to their own version of bad kryptonite, and that the empty shell of their film only resembles the outward appearance of its once mighty nature that resulted. Now, even diehard Superman completists, they probably opt to keep this out of their video collection. They basically just watch Superman and Superman 2 and consider the series over. And for all intents and purposes, it really is. that Those two films were the only ones that captured what made Superman great and kept that really epic feel and had a lot of respectability for its own property. This is just jokey shenanigans that has Superman at the core of it. And to some extent, Superman becomes a lesser player in his own movie to make way for the comedic aspects, including Richard Pryor and all of the jokes that they meant to build up on top of it. So as much as I really enjoy Superman and I enjoy Christopher Reeve and I really want to say great things about Superman 3, it is a major disappointment for me to see how far it fell from grace from Superman 2. So I'm going to give... 
Superman 3, two stars out of four. Two stars on my scale means that I think that it's lacking something vital that would make this something that I could recommend to most people. And that thing that it's really lacking is not only a continuity with the first two films in terms of tone and respect for its characters, but also any justification for the changes that were made here are completely misguided because they wanted to make it funnier, but the film really is not funny. And they wanted to give Superman a different romance, and the romance is not that romantic. So it basically fails on most of the new things that it tries to do, and it doesn't continue enough with the things that really propelled it to become one of the best superhero film series of all time. Superman 3 ended up killing its own franchise to a certain respect, although this franchise does continue on the following year with a spinoff called Supergirl, and that will be the very next film that I review for this podcast, Supergirl from 1984. For those people who like to watch movies, I can only tell you for those people who are gluttons for punishment and really want to watch all of these movies before I get to them that it's not a film that I'm going to tell you really returns the franchise back to former respectability. But I will be re-watching that and I will be reviewing that for you on the very next episode, Supergirl from 1984. Thanks everyone for listening. I hope that you enjoyed this review. I know I wasn't really that complimentary about Superman 3, but I do hope that you found the discussion at least interesting enough to listen to all the way to this end here. Until next time, thanks everyone for joining me on this journey around the world in 80s movies. <laughs>